So we're going to finish up where we left off. If you want to turn there, Psalm 107. And um, I think we're on, I think that's like page 145 in the Church Pew Bibles. Psalm 107, we're going to be looking at verses 33 through 43. So when you get there, just stand up and we'll read God's word together. Psalm 107, verses 43, 33 to 43. Psalm 107, beginning at verse 33. He changes rivers into a wilderness. And springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water and a dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that we may establish an inhabited city. And sows fields and plants vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. Also, he blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in the pathless waste. But he sets the needy securely on high, away from affliction, and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord God. Lord, we just ask now as we sit at your feet, each and every one of us, that we don't allow distractions, things to do list to steal from us this time, Lord God. We ask for your graces now, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful truths from your word. Oh Lord, that you would renew our minds, that you would transform our hearts through the truth of your word. Strengthen us, Lord God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, I asked Rebecca this morning to um, sing Amazing Grace. Last week we, we sang, or two weeks ago we sang, and can it be I asked her to sing that song for us for a reason. And I asked her to sing John Newton's song Amazing Grace because of these few words in that song. We sang this morning, though uh, through many dangers toils and snares I have already come you know we we dangers when I think of dangers I think of that beautiful baby that we were listening to you know and and some of us maybe have gone through dangers in life um I would say the majority of us probably haven't toils and snares though I think every one of us have have gone through toil no matter how young you are you've gone through your, your share of toils and snares. And then we sing, "'Tis grace has brought me safe thus far.'" Amen. 
all those toils and snares and, and maybe dangers that were there that I didn't even, wasn't even aware of. It has been grace that has brought me safe thus far. And you know what? We sang, and grace will lead me home. He doesn't mean not only home, this, the, you know, Talaka this afternoon. Ultimately, my home in heaven. Two weeks ago, guys, we looked at the first 32 verses of this psalm, and we looked at the, the various deliverances of God's people. In other words, two weeks ago, we studied how God delivers his people from the many dangers, toils, and snares of this life. This morning, we're going to look at how God will also bring us home safely. Uh, our desired haven that I pointed out at the end of our study two weeks ago, verse 30, that, that desired haven. When, we, when I brought that up at the end of the study, I reminded us that, guys, we are, as Christians, to live with eternity in view. We need to be living with eternity in view because heaven is our home. Heaven is our desired haven. Not here, guys. I'm telling you, if your possessions are your desired haven, if that's your security, if that's your identity, if that's your goal in life, if it's your position in life, if that's your desired haven, if it's your possessions, if that is your desired haven, you are going to be wanting and lacking they are going to disappoint you. They are temporal, guys. Heaven is not our desired haven. I mean, I'm sorry, heaven is, uh, earth is not our desired haven. It, it just cannot be. I mean, here, guys, we are just pilgrims. We are, for the majority of us, non-nationals. We understand what that means. I, I referred to Hebrews 11 uh, as we closed last time. And in Hebrews 11... Hebrews 11 and it tells us that the saints of old, uh, the saints that have gone on before us, all died in faith, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And guys, you know, the more I'm, as I'm getting older, I'm beginning to understand more and more of that. And maybe because I live in two different countries I lived in America for 40 years, in L.A. for 40 years. I have now been married longer here in Ireland than I was in America. I go back home to the States, and it's not home any longer. I, I feel like a stranger. I really do. I don't think like an American anymore. I don't respond to things anymore uh, like, like that. Yet over here, though I'm a citizen... And though this is my home and I love this country, I think I will always be a blow-in. I will always be a blow-in. I truly understand. I am a stranger, I really feel, in both countries now. But the writer, the Holy Spirit, goes on and says in Hebrews 11, they confess that they were strangers and exiles on earth that they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Guys, see, this is our hope. This is our goal. 
And I reminded us last time that heaven isn't, it isn't a, a, a state of mind as the, the Christian signs will teach us or they teach, they, they propagate. It's, it's not a return to the spirit world as the old Gnostic religions. And I still once in a great while hear it even among the university kids. When, I, when we die, our, our body releases our spirit. It's free from this prison. It's not about reincarnation. And guys, it is definitely not a paradise of self-indulgence and perversion. Heaven is eternal fellowship with God. The way God intended it to be, the way I'm wired, that's the way God has wired me. It's in my DNA. This is our desired haven, guys. Heaven itself. Psalm 107 tells us that God provides such a home for his people. See, we have a taste of it here. The Holy Spirit dwells in us as Christians. We have access to the Father because we are in Christ. We have his word. We get to fellowship with the the saints, with the body of Christ. But guys, all this is marred by sin. I get to do these things. We get to do these things in heaven not marred by sin. In our psalm this morning, in these 10 verses, we see a pattern a pattern that's very familiar with real life. We see in our verses this morning, we see ups and we see downs. We see mountaintops and we see valleys. I mean, look at, we, we, we see hard times. Look at verses 33 and 34. A fruitful land into a salt waste. Oh, I'm sorry, let's move up to 33. He changes rivers into wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. And then we see mountaintop experiences. Look at verses 35 through 38. He changes a wilderness into a pool of water. He changes dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell so that he may establish an inhabited city. And sow fields and plant vineyards and gather a fruitful harvest. And he blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. See, that's what I want in life. I, I want to live on, at the mountaintop experiences. I just want to stay up here, Lord. Don't, don't, don't take me anywhere else. But see, I don't rely on God very much when I'm up here. It's down here in the valleys that my trust grows, my faith grows. I, I learn that there is power in weakness. The cycle continues in our psalm. Look at the valleys again, verse 39. When they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon princes and makes them wander in a pathless waste. And then there's the highs of life in, in verses 41 and 42. But he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. The upright see it and are glad, but all unrighteousness shuts its mouth. The highs and the lows, the mountaintops and the valleys of life, guys. So the last time we were together, we looked at verses 1 through 
32. And we looked at how God steps in and he continually rescues us, guys. And, and we are called because of this, because of God continuously stepping in and, and rescuing us, whether it's our own messes we get ourselves in or it's just the messes of life itself. We're called to praise and thank God for his grace. This last section is a look at how our sovereign God allows for our good and for his glory his, his people to sometimes be lifted up and other times to be brought low. Again, look at verse 33. God changes rivers into wilderness. He changes rivers into wilderness. I mean, again, coming from Southern California, I mean, we're seeing this as droughts are destroying Southern California. Places that used to be just, I mean, just rivers and lakes are now ponds, basically. Verse 35, changes a wilderness into a pool of water. Or verse 34, a fruitful land into a salt waste. Verse 35, a dry land into springs of water. Guys, these are all things that are out of our control. Or even verses 38 and 39 again. God blesses them and they multiply greatly. Verses they are diminished and bowed down through oppression, misery, and sorrow. So I think we all can say amen that becoming a Christian isn't a walk in the park. Becoming a Christian does not mean that your problems magically disappear. Life has its pains and it has its tragedies, guys. Yet in spite of this, we are called to praise God for his wisdom and his goodness. So here's the question. How can we do this? Well, I think our psalm this morning shows us how we can do this. By seeing God's loving, wise, and sovereign hand, even in the hard times. This is how our psalm ends this morning. By a humble acknowledgement of, of God's sovereignty over everything and over all circumstances. Even the bad things in life are in God's hands. I, 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 I really do think that this is the psalm's big idea. Everything, guys, success and failure, our ups and our downs, our good times and the bad times. Whether it's in our personal lives or in a nation's history are entirely in control of and brought about by the will of almighty god i want to give you two biblical examples again if you came in late you might i don't even know if there are any more there but you might want to grab a um, point of enter sheet because i'm going to be turning you back and forth to places Two biblical, two biblical examples I want to give you of God's sovereignty. The first is from the book of Daniel. Would you turn with me there to Daniel chapter 4. If you have a church pew Bible, uh, it's 600, page 632, Old Testament side, left-hand side of the bookmark. Daniel chapter 4. As you're turning there, guys, we're going to be looking at a man called King Nebuchadnezzar. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king. When the, the section that I'm going to return you to this morning was written towards the end of his life, we're looking at about 600 B.C. Again, I love putting things into a time capsule, into a point that I could say, oh, here in history is when this is happening. Real man, real life, real situation, real country. King Nebuchadnezzar has been struggling against the claims of a sovereign God. He refused, this man refused to believe that even his own destiny was in God's hands, guys. Everything in this man's life, everything in this king's life, his, his kingdom, his might, his life was to the glory of himself. Everything. This man, and you can see why, because this man represented the most powerful kingdom on earth at this time. Chapter 4, Daniel. Look at verse 34. Just a sound bite of what was in this man's heart. And again, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Verse 30, Daniel 4 says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power... And for the glory of my majesty. Now the man has been warned. The man has been warned. But he refused to listen. And we know history. God struck the king with insanity for seven years. After that period of time, his reason returns to him. Look at verses 34 and 35. Daniel 4, verses 34, 35. Nebuchadnezzar, this is what grace does. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion, for his dominion, he was just talking a while back, seven years prior, about his dominion, now his with a capital H, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can question God. No one. Drop down to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are true, and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. He's saying, amen, I'm a testimony to this. That term heaven is a key term in Daniel chapter 4. Heaven condemns King, condemns King Nebuchadnezzar's pride and reminds him that his power and even his sanity, guys, are gifts from God. And then that we see, that, you see that, that little title, that unique title, King of Heaven. King of Heaven. That brings together the theme not only of Daniel chapter 4, but our section in our psalm this morning in Psalm 107. 
the, the rule of God from heaven. In Acts chapter 17, we read, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. Isn't that what David was saying in our offering this morning? God, even the, even the, the money that we're giving you, we can't even give that kind of credit because you're, we're only giving back to you what you've given to us. Everything, guys, everything. There is nothing we can boast in. The second biblical, biblical example of God's sovereignty comes from Mary. Luke chapter one, we call it Mary's Magnificent. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter one, page 44 in the Pew Bibles, New Testament side, right-hand side of the, the bookmark. Luke chapter one, why don't you turn there for a moment? So Daniel, I thought that Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, a great example of God's sovereignty and what Mary says here. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. We read Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Side note, didn't plan to go here. But when I talk to a lot of my, because it spoke to me when I was a Catholic, when I speak to my Catholic friends and we talk about Mary and we talk about, again, now as the Catholic Church moves into her being a co-redemptor, I always go here and I always talk about, take them right to Mary's words. And she says here, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Mary herself needed a Savior. Mary is not sinless. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So guys, whether it is nations, whether it is rulers, or whether it is us, our own lives, families, God is, so, is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over all. That means whether believer or non-believer, God sends trials as well as joy. He sends lean times as well as blessings. Yet God is never, ever arbitrary. So my next question, how does this doctrine work out practically then 
in our lives. Well, God says in, in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Guys, his ways, thank God, thank you, Lord, his ways are not like our ways, and his thoughts are not like our thoughts. Sometimes we just can't figure out what God is doing. Whether it's the big picture, whether it's just what is God doing in the world right now, or, or it's just what is God doing in my life, what's God doing in my marriage, what's God doing in, in my family. It's those times, guys, when we need to just stop, we need to pray, and we need to rest in God's sovereignty. Turn with me to Romans 11. Romans 11, page 126 in the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 11. Even the Apostle Paul, even the Apostle Paul, (laughs) and in Romans 11, I I don't know how long we spent last year in Romans 11, but I know we camped here for a while. Even the Apostle Paul explaining the super deep things of God to us, the overall plan of things, says after it's all said and done, Look at, verses 30, look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, Paul says. Amen. Guys, there is nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with trying to understand the judgments or the ways or the mind of God. In fact, Scripture encourages us to do that. But at the same time, we have to remember that God's ways will always be beyond our full understanding. And there's going to be times when we need to just step back, stay quiet, and pray, and wait, and watch. I think a great example are the times that we are living in today. The times we are living in... Uh, on one hand, as Laney blesses us once, once a month, we're reminded that there are Christians being persecuted all over the world. I mean, if it's not Laney, I mean, you can't get away with it. If you have a Facebook page, it's all over Facebook. You know, I mean, it's, it's on, I, I don't know what news stations you listen to, but you see it on CNN, you see it on Fox News. And the persecution ranges from hostility to being marginalized to being ill-treated to even to death for being a Christian. And then on the other side, 
the other side of the coin, guys, you have God's creation mandate springing from a removal of God from society being shredded before our very eyes. Do you guys realize this? Again, this isn't an advertisement or a segue into the World's View course, but this is why the World's View course is so important. Because you're getting everything besides God, <laughs> biblical counsel, biblical viewpoints from the world. Everything is being shredded before our eyes, guys. And when this happens now, with God being removed from society, we're having now to redefine life. We're having to redefine marriage. We're redefining gender. We're redefining family. We're redefining the truth. We're redefining morality. We're redefining ethics. I don't know about you, but there's times where I'm sitting in my chair, in my office, where I have all my stuff together there for devotions, and I just yell out, God, do something. That's me saying it quietly. I really do yell it out. God, do something. Why, God? Why are these things going on? Why are these things going on? Yet I know, guys, I know, I know that God is working in ways that I don't understand. I don't understand why he does the things he does. I wish he would come to me for some counsel. Not really, because it would be horrible counsel. I don't even listen to my own counsel. But why? Why are you allowing the things that are going on, whether it's with our brothers and sisters in the world, or even like the other day, Lawrence was talking to a friend on the phone, and they were asking him, you know, why is there evil in the world? Why are there people starving? Why are there kids going to bed hungry? Or... Lord God, why are you allowing the things that take place in Western society? I know that God is working in ways that I don't see and understand. And you know what? Most of all, for most guys, he is working here. He's working in my heart. That is what he's doing most. And that's not blind faith. It's realizing that his ways are not my ways, nor his thinking like mine. I know that he is sovereign over everything including what looks like madness. You know, Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, tried to understand why God was raising up the wicked Babylonians to judge his people, Israel. Guys, to Habakkuk, it was beyond reason. Okay, God, we're bad. I know, there's no question about it. We as a nation are bad. We're idolaters. We are unfaithful. But the Babylonians, <laughs> they're way worse. They're, they're just, they're wicked. They're demonic. Why are you doing this? How can you even possibly do this? Yet he writes in Habakkuk 2.1, I will stand, I love this, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. When the Ray Paraphrase Bible comes out, that will have scolded or rebuked. Because he knew that God's ways were not his ways. He knew that he wasn't going to understand everything that God was doing, yet God is sovereign. Even though, why is God going to be raising up the Babylonians 
to punish Israel. When God did speak, he told Habakkuk, and guys, the words I'm about to read to you, they changed Martin Luther's life. Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous will live by his faith. But the righteous will live by his faith, or by, literally in the Hebrew, by his faithfulness. The Hebrew word there denotes a steadfast reliance on the Lord. A trust that, a trust that perseveres, and that, that is grace. That is sustaining grace. Uh, the Hebrew recalls the words of Genesis uh, 15.6 and applies them to Habakkuk's situation. In, in Genesis 15.6 we read, Then Abraham believed the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Centuries before the law even came into effect to where Abraham was able to obey and do a tick-off list, it was his faith that was counted, his God-given faith that was counted to him as righteousness. By faith, Abraham waited patiently for the fulfillment of God's promises. And now Habakkuk and the remnant with him must wait patiently too. And in verse 3 there in Habakkuk, I love it. God says, though it tarries, Habakkuk, though it tarries, though it delays, wait for it. God, that's what what we don't like. I don't like. I don't like waiting for it. God, go in and, I mean, that little girl convicted me because I'm praying like David, go in and kick in their teeth, Lord, and may they fall into their pits and send fire down from heaven, Lord God, and just torch these men, you know. But I know God is doing something. He's doing something there. He's doing something in my heart. Though it tarries, Habakkuk, wait for it. And then he says, it will certainly come. It will certainly come. And in these words, guys, Paul found scriptural proof for the doctrine of justification by faith. And Habakkuk's words of of comfort again has been the key text for the Protestant Reformation faith since the 16th century. You can go back to our psalm. But keep your finger in Romans because we're going to turn right back to Romans. Guys, another way, another way that this doctrine works out practically in our lives, it helps us to live with eternity in view. By this I mean, and I I hope it's going from here out of my mouth and it makes sense correctly but by looking beyond the seen the here and now to the unseen is faith it's is faith again let's use abraham as the example abraham was called by god to leave his home to an unknown place to an unknown land where god would show him had no idea where god was sending him yet abraham never as unbelievably blessed and rich as Abraham was, Abraham never actually owned any of the land. Never. Just a small burial plot is all we ever owned. And he, even after he went where God showed him, I mean, he went exactly where God was telling him to go, life wasn't easy for Abraham. There were famines, there were family problems, there, was, there were danger from desert tribes. 
But this was a man who lived with eternity in view. And we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, we read a little soundbite on Abraham's life. It says, For Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Guys, though there, there is valleys and mountaintops in life, we keep our eyes on him. We keep our eyes on Christ. Our sight is to be on heaven. If you keep it on the here and now, you're going to be discouraged and frustrated. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we do this by grace. Because we must remember that God loves us. And that he's working here and here in our lives. And because he loves us, he comforts us. Because he loves us, he sustains us. And he brings us through even the hardest experiences in this life. See, it's all about our hearts, guys. Bottom line, God is doing a work in your heart. He does a work in your heart like he would never be able to do on those mountaintops. It happens in the valleys. It's all about renewing. It's all about transforming. It's all about his glory. That's how our psalm ends. Look at our psalm, verse 43. This is how our psalm ends this morning. Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Again, if your finger's still in Romans, flip over to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Paul in Romans 8 writes, And we know that God causes, and that's the literal Greek there, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Christian, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep 
to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we, are overw- we overwhelmingly conquer, or like I told you when we were studying this, we are super conquerors, literally in the Greek, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, we close our psalm this morning with, Who is wise? Let him give heed to these things and consider the loving kindness, the unchanging, steadfast, one-way love of the Lord. Again, let's close. go back to our psalm, and we'll close there. Guys, the last verse in our psalm this morning is telling not only the believer, but also everyone else to wise up and to consider these, how, how things actually are. As we live in a moral universe governed by a moral God. You can deny it, but it doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the truth. We live in a moral universe governed by a moral God. We as Christians are to walk away from our psalm this morning, thanking God for being who he is and acting as he does. Now, Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 7, be anxious for nothing, Christian. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't get stressed over stuff. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, (coughs) all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what I've learned over 20-some years of being a Christian? I'm a slow learner. God has still had been doing some major heart surgery on me. I, I was telling Martin during the week that I didn't realize I was this sick, you know. <laughs> the heart surgery I thought would be just, you know, maybe God was just going to do a little stint here, a little bit here. Uh, I'm, I'm on, he's doing major heart surgery. Here's what I've learned over the 20-some years of being a Christian Life is not about getting through it with the least amount of bumps and bruises. It's not about accumulating the most toys. It's not about having the best portfolio. It's not about having a healthy bank account. These are all things I lived for, guys, that I lived and I breathed for, even as a Christian. What matters most in life, guys, is if we are actually in the hands of the great, loving God. And if we are, we can give heed to these things this morning. And we can consider the loving kindness of the Lord. And we can praise him as the saints before us have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.